thanks to Airbnb for sponsoring this episode of Industry Focus. Whether you're looking for some side cash or steady income, hosting on Airbnb might just be the best investment you haven't made yet. Go to airbnb.com slash full to start hosting and learn about a $100 Amazon gift card offer for our listeners. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is Wednesday, February the 27th, and we're talking healthcare. I'm your host, Shannon Jones. Uh, first up, I'm joined via Skype today by healthcare guru Todd Campbell. Todd, as always, welcome. So glad to always chat with you. Great to be back here once again and to do something slightly different for this week's show. Oh, yes. We have a very special treat indeed. And as wonderful as Todd is, we've got another guest joining us this week. And that is none other than Joel Marcus, the executive chairman and founder of Alexandria Real Estate Equities, Inc., For our listeners out there, that's ticker symbol A-R-E, a company that's really affectionately been called Biotech's Biggest Landlord. I kind of like that title there, Todd. What do you think? (laughs) I think so, too. I mean, it's absolutely a powerhouse company. And I'm just really excited, Joel. Thank you to talk to us and, and our listeners about what's going on in Alexandria. And I thought maybe just to kick things off... Uh, for some of our listeners that maybe aren't so familiar with Alexandria, could you give us a, an elevator pitch explanation of the business and and perhaps take a second and just educate us all on the idea of concept of uh, clustering? Sure. And it's a pleasure to be here, uh, both uh, Shannon and Todd. Thank you very much. Yeah, Alexandria, actually, um, I, I think we are the biggest, but we certainly uh, hope to pride ourselves on being the best, the highest quality, delivering the best environments for uh, creative um, genius to create the medicines of the future to hopefully uh, cure a lot of pretty uh, tough diseases that are, you know, have not been challenged. Uh, Before I kick off, as you said, the elevator pitch and a little bit about clustering, I would say that keep in mind there are 10,000 known diseases to mankind or personkind today, humankind, um, but only about 500 have been addressed by therapies, and very few of those are cures. So you can see we're in the really early days of the biology revolution to understand very complex systems within the human body. And so Alexandria, I mean, if you think about us, really in with three kind of pillars. One is our unique strategy. We uh, really came up with the idea of um, laboratory assets uh, that could be um, uh, bought, developed, redeveloped, and leased to the uh, very inventive uh, research industry, which is creating medicines. And we started back in 1994, really as a garage startup, $19 million Series A. So we started much like a lot of the healthcare startups uh, of today. Uh, The second thing is uh, our people. I think that really distinguishes us. We have had, we have one of the lowest turnovers in corporate America. And we have, um, I think, just very fortunately attracted and retained a tremendous group of people, very long tenured people. And I think the uh, model that we try to fashion ourselves after is Jim Collins and kind of level five, you know, 
uh, egoless leadership and egoless um, execution of what we do every day. And then the third kind of pillar to the company is really the financial strategy. And so we started as a private company. We went public. Um, we got our investment grade rating right after the uh, big recession. And we've tried to keep very low leverage and lots of dry powder to grow the business. Um, and uh, we've, I think, been very successful with combining that unique business strategy, a, uh, a very unique talent base, and with a very uh, conservative financial strategy. And when you talk about clusterizations, the company was a single asset. Either we acquired, we built, or we redeveloped. And then in 2004, 2005, 2006, we actually pivoted the company from single assets to um, the concept of cluster locations. Um, and that was really done at the, uh, really based on the learnings of um, um, the Michael Porter, the famous Harvard professor who really kind of did the definitive work on clusterization. And his thesis was industries, when they cluster together, they're more productive, you can attract better people, and they just operate in a much better fashion when collaborating and innovating together. And that really is the hallmark of uh, the life science industry. And so in 04, we started Mission Bay in San Francisco, which today is, you know, just an amazing, amazing place of, you know, literally, you know, well over uh, 5 million square feet of uh, commercial space. And then there's another similar amount, UCSF's uh, principal research headquarters. In 05, we started our New York campus with Mayor Bloomberg. And today that's almost a million square feet in the heart of the Eastside Medical Corridor. In 06, we bought Tech Square, Technology Square from MIT, and we also started um, a uh, 2 million square foot development in the heart of East Cambridge. So those were pretty influential pivot points for the company. Yeah, and it's just fascinating, um, this concept of these clusters. Having worked in one of those clusters, um, Research Triangle Park, uh, to your point, I mean, you've got talent, you've got resources that can really help and grow these businesses as they're clustered. Um, one of the other fascinating things is just how this company got started. Joel, you mentioned this got started in a garage. How in the world did this all come about? Actually, a little worse than a garage. So um, I was doing a public offering. I was a um, an attorney, a partner in a large West Coast law firm specializing in uh, biotech and technology. I was doing a public offering for a group, and uh, the chairman called me over um, at a meeting and said, gee, we have this idea. This was Joe Jacobs, who founded Jacobs Engineering, that we want to create a real estate company. Jacobs has lots of clients in this industry, but we're a service company. We'd like to invest, and so would you help us put together a business plan, a financial model? I did that, and after um, about a year of putting that together, they said, well, you know, we're too old to kind of run it. Um, will you help, you know, would you come in and run it? And I turned them down three times and then finally said yes, so they were very persistent. And the, the focus was to create a new um, real estate category really the office laboratory property. And in those days, it really wasn't identified as a separate asset class like you might think of apartments, industrial, um, you know, uh, uh, shopping centers, uh, et cetera. 
it, it just was never on anybody's radar. And so we raised $19 million, kind of family and friends and a few sophisticated investors led by Jacobs Engineering and really started the company from scratch. We had, uh, when we opened the doors in January of 1994, we actually had a business plan and a financial model and a strategy and $19 million, but we had no, no other assets. So we're very proud that today the company is almost a $20 billion um, total enterprise company really spanning all the great uh, East Coast and West Coast life science clusters. And we think, we hope it's not only providing infrastructure, but venture, thought leadership, and we're very focused on corporate social responsibility. So we really try to be a mission-driven company. From humble beginnings, right, Joel? Spawns this, and we this... try to stay that way. We always think of ourselves as Avis, not Hertz in, in the old days. <laughs> you know, we always think of ourselves. If, if you, you know, Jim Collins teaches uh, in his famous book, uh, How the Mighty Fail. You don't want to be uh, a company like Kodak hanging out in Rochester, New York, not able to recruit young, really innovative people and not taking on the digitization of, uh, you know, photography. So we try to stay leading edge. And that's why you know, we have a, you know, a team of scientists and technologists, and we try to stay at the leading edge of the learnings um, in, in, our, uh, in our focus area. And I imagine that's an incredibly important. And, you know, I want to shift gears slightly to discuss that a little bit, flesh that out just a little bit more, because we know that this is a very innovative industry that you're serving. Tremendous amount of of innovation that's going on, and it's it seems to be happening faster and faster and faster. And you're you've got a specialty niche here, where the real estate that you're building out is is very specific. It's specific to these types of tenants. So of course, one of one of the questions then that would would come up would be, okay, well, what are the levers that drive or the pillars that support? Um, occupancy rates within your buildings? Because obviously my assumption would be that, you know, if these pillars were weaker, then it would be tougher to fill those spots because they are so specialized. So that's a, you know, really critical question. And we, uh, we really attacked that very early on because it's kind of a funny story. Uh, when we went for our Series B round, we had 30 meetings set up by our investment bank, and literally 28 or 29 of them, we got tossed out. Some even saying when we came in, oh, uh, I remember um, a major, I think it was GE pension fund said, oh, my God, we own one of these buildings and it's a disaster. Uh, we'd never invest in this. And finally, there was one uh, pension fund that decided to fund our Series B that bridged us to an IPO. But it turns out we investigated that and thought, gee, what about what's this building? Gee, well, it turned out they owned a industrial building that had printing solutions and it had nothing to do with research of biology or chemistry. So it was a misperception totally. But the concept is this is a specific industry. The buildings we, you know, we buy on occasion, we mostly develop and we do some redevelopment are above standard. They're more expensive than office buildings. They have specific infrastructure, which bring um, water, uh, gases, and uh, you know substantial air to, uh, to the laboratory bench. And so if you build one of these and you put this infrastructure in and somebody moves out, you don't want to rip all that infrastructure out. That would be a huge waste of money. So 
we decided that we needed to focus on dense areas where these companies cluster so that uh, you would not have, if one tenant moves out, you don't then have to lease to, you know, a Goldman Sachs or, a, you know, a JP Morgan or an office, traditional office tenant. That would not be a very good outcome. So um, we that's where the cluster theory really emerged um, in a very dramatic way, because when you operate in the clusters, you have um, great um, depth of tenant base, multiple types of tenants from early stage to late stage to mid stage. And it's a very, very important uh, factor. So let's talk about where the company is headed maybe over the next five to 10 years and maybe some of the factors that are driving your, your growth strategy moving forward. Yeah, that's a great, uh, great question. And so, uh, well, let me go back to just the other one before. So because we're involved in the key clusters, Seattle, San Francisco, San Diego, Cambridge, New York City, the uh, Maryland area and North Carolina in the ag tech area, the depth of the tenant base is such that when one tenant moves out, another tenant can move in and we don't have to spend a lot of money to uh, re-tenant and refit the, the, um, uh, the properties. And that's been very helpful. When we look out on... Um, uh, we did our investor day on November 28th here in New York City, and we gave uh, earnings guidance naturally as companies do for 2019. But we did something, we broke with tradition and gave a framework for a five-year plan um, that would uh, enable us to double the rental revenues of the company on the assets we own today, not only the income-producing assets, but the uh, great land assets we have in the clusters I just mentioned. And so we took the, uh, the analysts and institutional investors through our five-year plan and said, by from the uh, beginning of 2018 to the end of 2022, we, we have a good chance, assuming there are no you know, terrible macro, black swan macro factors that would impede that, we can double the rental revenues. And I think that's pretty unusual for any public company, let alone a REIT. Yeah, doubling rental revenues is huge. So I, I commend you for the the challenging stretch goal there. Thank you very much, Joel. You know, you 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 brought up a good point there. You you talked about black swans, those things that just can come out of nowhere. And uh, I'm sure that I know that when I think about my business, I have some of these these sleepless nights. I'm curious, what is it that makes it tough for you? to get to sleep at night? What are, the, what are those events that could happen? I mean, is, is it simply you know, rising interest rates and what the impact could be then on, on building new buildings or, or economic recession? Or you know, what, what are the things that worry you? Yeah, that's a good question. So one thing that doesn't worry me is we have um, our average lease is about 10 years. Um, half of our, more than half our leases are investment grade or large cap companies. So I wouldn't do this, but if we went to sleep as a management team, uh, we could maintain half our revenues with the highest quality tenants for 10 years, um, but we won't do that. So we do feel good about sleeping at night. We're not so worried about interest rates. I think the Fed has done a good job of managing the, un the careful unwinding. In fact, Jay Powell's testifying today uh, to congressional committees. Um, done a good job of laying out the pathway to unwind the balance sheet and to carefully uh, raise interest rates. I don't think you can assume that past 
interest rate levels are ones that we would have for the future. So I think they're gauging that very carefully. Um, we're also a very lowly levered company. We have very little, less than 5% of our debt is variable rate debt, meaning all of our debt today is fixed at, uh, and we just got our upgrade from S&P. So both S&P and Moody's rate us a triple B plus uh, investment credit, which is great. So we don't have much exposure to variable rate interests. Uh, but what is an existential threat that is out there and part of what's going on in Congress as well is the, the health of the industry. And we want to make sure that this country leads the world as it is today in biomedical innovation. And you go back to my opening comment, if we have 500 addressable therapies, only a few of which are cures out of 10,000 diseases, we've got a long way to go to really help uh, humankind stay healthy. So we need to see positive NIH funding, which we have, positive medical research philanthropy, which we've seen, a great regulatory environment for the FDA and Scott Gottlieb, a real shout out for he and his entire team. They've done an absolutely first-class job. Venture and public market capital flows being positive and the companies, uh, both biotech and pharma, um, reinvesting in a R&D funding. And this is where drug pricing comes in. And uh, hopefully one will see drug pricing is not just a list price by the manufacturer because 40% literally goes off the top to middlemen. And then when the end user gets it, usually the hospitals, the hospitals sometimes mark it up, you know, from, you know, one times to 10 times. Um, and they use that as a way to offset um, their losses through other, other mechanisms that they have where they have their um, emergency rooms being used by people who can't pay and so forth. So it's not the manufacturers oftentimes that are the problems. There have been some egregious kind of crazy people, but the mainstream really high quality ethical groups, um, we want to make sure that they have an incentive to continue research and development and great breakthroughs, especially on the precipice of a uh, generation of um, uh, dementia and uh, really serious neuroscience diseases that uh, are going to take hold here over the next uh, quarter of a century. Yeah, I totally agree. And you, you really hit the nail on the head in talking about uh, the importance of the U.S. really being at the forefront of biomedical innovation. Uh, a couple of stats I came across as I was just uh, researching the company, uh, Silicon Valley Bank actually recently ranked ARE as the most active biopharma investor by deal volume in 2017 and 2018. And Forbes ranked your company as number one in terms of venture capital in the healthcare sector, also on deal volume in 2018. Pretty impressive. What can you tell us about your venture capital arm and maybe what are some of your specific focus areas too? Yeah, well, you are a good person to ask because I know you have a uh, neuroscience background, um, Shannon. So yes. uh, I appreciate the question very much. I think, uh, yeah, we are number one by most active. We tend to focus on the earlier stages. We like Series A, B. We are also doing a lot of work in the seed stage because we think that trying to put together unique um, teams with unique um, uh, opportunities to make breakthroughs in a whole range of diseases is important. We also have gone to the other end. We have done crossovers to IPOs and participated in IPOs. Um, we manage uh, a little bit under a billion dollars by market value. 
um, which is a little less than 5% of the total assets of the company. Um, and so uh, we feel very good about you know, our position. We like to focus on leading edge. We're pretty involved today in kind of the next generation cell therapy companies, a number of them that have recently been formed. We've been pretty deeply involved with uh, some of the gene therapy companies you saw, Spark, uh, a gene therapy company based in Philadelphia, which is pretty unusual, uh, just gets scooped up um, for over $5 billion. We're pretty focused on machine learning and artificial intelligence as it applies to the drug discovery process. We're also pretty focused on things. Can we detect at the just absolutely beginning cellular level before any metastases or any really aggregation of cells begin, you know, the earliest signs of uh, cancer um, beginning to grow within the cell? So there's so many areas. And as you know, you know, Shannon, um, having an undergraduate degree in neuroscience, you know that the the kind of the key to unlocking dementia and a number of the intractable um, uh, neuroscience diseases really still has not been found. That has eluded literally every company so far, and we still don't see any immediate breakthroughs on the horizon. Yeah, unfortunately, that is the case. Um, but with companies that are investing in those areas with such a huge, significant unmet need, um, this is what I think will ultimately be over the next five to 10 years. I feel like we'll start to see the needle move a little bit in those areas. But yeah, that that continues to be one of the marks that it just seems like many companies just can't hit. It's been frustrating, for sure. We've got one more question for Joel, but first, a quick word from our friends at Airbnb. Whether you're looking for some side cash or steady income, hosting on Airbnb might just be the best investment you haven't made yet. Worried about your property? Airbnb offers a host guarantee that helps protect your property in the unlikely event that something goes wrong. It's free to list your home, and you're the boss when you host on Airbnb. Host when you want, how you want. List one bedroom or the entire place. It's all up to you. Of course, we here at The Motley Fool always love when you can make some extra income. Airbnb is no exception to that rule. You can use that extra income to pay the bills, fund travel, or save for retirement. And more importantly, we do love that host guarantee. Airbnb helps keep you protected with a team available 24-7 to help with any issues, whether that's rebooking assistance, refunds, or their $1 million host guarantee. For listeners of this show, go to airbnb.com slash full to start hosting, and you'll receive a $100 Amazon gift card if you generate $500 in booking value by May 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Again, receive a $100 Amazon gift card if you generate $500 in booking value by May 30th by going to airbnb.com slash full and start hosting. So, Joel, we we here at The Fool, we love games. Right, Shannon? Oh, we love games. (laughs) Absolutely. So we're, we're hoping you might want to play one with us today. And, and we'll, we'll keep it relatively simple. Uh, as we come into the home stretch of our conversation, thank you again so much for, for, for joining us here on the show. I wanted to do like a lightning round style game for our listeners that we'll call buy, sell, or hold. And, and what I'll do, if you're willing, is to give you a prediction 
And then I'm going to ask you to rate it either a buy, a hold, or a sell. So if you, if you agree with the prediction, uh, that would be a buy. And if you're unclear or unsure, that would be a hold. And if you think there's no way that's happening, Todd, then, um, then that would be a sell. Uh, so what do you say? Are, are you game to play a game? Of course. Okay, great. Great. So let's kick it off then. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the statement and then maybe you can tell me the buy, sell, or hold. And, and if you have a thought on it, uh, please feel free to add. Uh, first point, in five years, venture capital for healthcare will be bigger than it is today. Yeah, I honestly think that's an easy one. I think it's going to be massively bigger. Um, and if you just look at the baby boomer, the aging of the population, not only in the U.S., but worldwide, and then you look at just the neuroscience area, absolutely bigger. Okay, so we've got a buy on that, absolutely bigger. In five years, a new market will unseat Cambridge and, well, San Diego, San Francisco, we'll say California, Cambridge and California as the hotbed for life sciences innovation? Uh, no. All right, so that's a sell. Those will remain the, uh, the biggest marketplaces for innovation in life sciences. Yep. Clusters awesome. take 25 years to grow. Nothing's going to happen in five years to unseat them. Perfect, perfect. And then the last one. In five years, the NIH budget, the NIH budget, will be bigger than it is today. Uh, yes, it's almost $40 billion today and expect it to be bigger. There is one other factor that it, your audience should know. We spend less, the government funds less than a billion dollars for ag tech um, uh, research, and we're spending almost 40 on biomedical. And if you look at China, who just bought Syngenta, and um, we need to capture the lead research in the ag tech world, too, because human health is not only fighting disease, but it's good nutrition. So I would say that's a big one we ought to pursue. Joel, that, that's an awesome closing thought here um, and something I know we'll probably dig into more. I think China, um, in a lot of ways, is on uh, investor minds as we watch their emerging space and as the regulatory framework out there continues to improve. Um, for you and your company right now, if you just had maybe one key takeaway that you'd want potential shareholders or current shareholders to know, what would that be? Yeah, I think the uh, the one that I mentioned before, we're in a um, early innings of a biology revolution, and I think the company has the framework to double rental revenues in five years. I don't think there's a stock out there in the real estate sector that can match that. Fair point, fair point. Well, Joel, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to chat with us. Um, I will say we would love to have you on the show. Maybe maybe when you have uh, those five-year goals, check back on you, see how you did with doubling the revenue. How does that sound? That sounds perfect. Thank you guys very much. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Joel. Thanks so much to you as listeners as well. And that's it for this week's Industry-Focused Healthcare Show. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Todd Campbell, I'm Shannon Jones. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!